0: So we're going to start off this morning, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to go ahead and dive in. We're going to follow the kind of same kind of format we have for the past few weeks. And that's mean, that means we're going to look at a couple scriptures, and then we're going to break it down. Sound good? So, not like you have a choice, or like, well, whatever he said. So, uh, we're going to begin in Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. And we're going to s- jump way, 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 way back to a story that I'm sure many of us know. And it's where the desert wanderings actually began. And there's a guy named Moses. Just imagine Charlton Heston. Um, And Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Now, Moses was keeping the flock of his father in law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And Moses, by this point, has already spent a considerable time in the wilderness. He was raised as you know, Pharaoh's, in King Pharaoh's court, he was found in a river in a little basket, right? And it was Hebrews because they were killing a lot of them and they, they saved him. He so he was raised up as royalty, right? And then he ended up killing an Egyptian guard, right? No good. And so he thought he was going to be killed and were threatened and all that kind of stuff. So he ran for his life. Moses tucked tail and run. And he ran all the way and ended up through this wilderness. A lot of people think that he, the wilder the Israelites actually recounted Moses' steps and Moses got lost for a while, so maybe they got re-lost for a while, retracing Moses' steps through the wilderness. Anyway, he finally comes to this place, meets this guy named Jethro, has a gorgeous daughter. They get married, and he becomes a sheep farmer, from royalty to sheep farmer. And this is where we pick back up, right? Verse two: And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Notice it's not the Lord yet; it's an angel of the Lord. He looked, Moses did, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, you know what, I'm going to check this out. I'm going to turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, this is when God enters that burning bush, right? God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. This bush is talking to me, it's pretty weird. Then he said, do not come near, take off your sandals, of your feet, for the place on which you are standing is, what? Holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And no one can look at God and live. So that was probably a smart thing to do for Moses. So this is where the wanderings began, right? And we know the the plagues and the Egypt out of Egypt, and Israelites, and parting the Red Sea, right, came after that, and then wandering in the desert for a long, long time. We're going to fast forward to about where we've been. The book of Joshua, over to the book of Joshua, chapter 5. We have been in Numbers, right, and we eventually come up to this place in the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 5. And just like these bookends of walking out of Egypt, you have a, a dude talking to you, And they're saying, take off your shoes for this place is holy ground, right? Kind of weird. And then a parting of the waters, the Red Sea, and the Israelites wander. Now we have the other bookends. And the the chapter before this, the Israelites have crossed over the River Jordan. That's a whole other miracle you can read about at another time. But pretty cool. It's like a mini, itty-bitty crossing of the Red Sea, but really still cool. So the Israelites crossed over into the Promised Land almost. We'll talk about that uh, some other time. But they're, they're getting into this area, right? And they come to this place, finally coming up to this place called Jericho. And we're going to pick up in Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. And when Joshua was by Jericho, verse 13, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand, ready to fight. And Joshua went to him and said, are you for us? Or for our adversaries? Like there's this dude standing in the middle of the road. And it's almost like a thou shalt not pass if you like Lord of the Rings. Like there's this dude, there's one, one road and like we have to go this road and there's this dude in the road with a sword like are you going to fight us or you're not going to fight us? Are you for us or for our adversaries? And this man said no. Or your version may say neither. And he's like huh? Huh? But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Sounds kind of familiar, right? Like a repeat. Like, didn't we just do this? Oh, no, no, that was like 40-something years ago. No, we didn't just do this. But if you're reading the Bible, it might seem like, hey, we just did this. And if you're looking at the desert wanderings that the Israelites did, we just did this. Again, it was a long time. But these bookends come in the place where you are standing is holy ground. We know who's, the, who's this guy. Who, who is this commander of the armies of the Lord? Who is this dude that Josh was talking to? Well, it's not an angel. Anytime there's an angel present, there is no in, by itself holiness. An angel's not going to take, you can read all the scripture, anytime an angel appears, people are just scared. But the angel never says, this place is holy because I'm here. Not once. The place becomes holy because God is there. So who is this commander of the armies of the Lord? Who is this guy? We're going to have to go all the way from Exodus to Revelation. And we're going to end up in the middle. Sound fun? I think it sounds fun. Let's try that. Go to the book of Revelation, last book in the Bible. Last book in the Bible, Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19, John has this again, Revelation, that's why it's called that. And here in this passage, it is laid out for us who the commander of the armies of the Lord is. Verse 11, John writes, So I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it, is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, sacrifice for us. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. If you know the beginning of the book of John, and the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God, right? Jesus' Word made flesh. And the armies of heaven, armies, notice right there, the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword. There's that sword again. The sword of the Spirit, right? By which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress. This sounds fun. Like, I don't want to be around for this. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh is a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Who is that guy? That guy's Jesus. So who is the commander of the armies of the Lord then? Who does Joshua meet? Face to face, mano, imano, on this road, thou shalt not pass. Dude saying with a sword. Comes face to face with Jesus. Now obviously he doesn't know, but Jesus says, Take off your take off your shoes. There's Adidas, the flip-flops, whatever. Take them off, because the place where you are standing is holy ground. When we come to this point. Joshua didn't know if he was for or against him, right? Came to this roadblock. Joshua wanted to know if Jesus was a hindrance. and Jesus just wanted to know, or wanted Joshua to know that he was holy. He said, before you come to this promised land, you just need to stop. Take a moment, take a breath, and recognize that I'm holy. I'm the commander of the armies of the Lord, and I have come to be with you For this battle. So take off your shoes because the place where you are standing is holy ground. Not because you're here. Not because some angel's here. Not because the Israelites are here. But because I'm here. Stop. And recognize that I am holy. And that's where some of us are in our lives. Is Jesus a hindrance in this situation? Is that spirit going to convict me of the things that I know I should do or the things I shouldn't do? And we ask, is Jesus for me or is Jesus against me? Does he want my plans and business to succeed? Neither. Does he want me to, to, to do this or to do that? To move to Illinois or to stay in Melbourne? Well, sometimes maybe neither unless he's leading you there. And we, and we ask these mundane, everyday, simpleton questions of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. God's like, I gave you free will. Like, Neither. I'm the commander of the armies of the Lord, and I have come. It's just that simple. And sometimes we, we, we try to break it down to, to more than that and, and decipher and, and, and figure out all these, these things and ask out all these questions when all he's really telling us is just stop all of that and just remember that I'm holy. Because if we can't stop and remember that he is holy, we have no business going into a promised land. If, if we can't stop for this Sunday, on this Palm Sunday, and then recognize that Jesus is holy, we have no business talking about Easter. So that's what today is going to be about. And there's one other time Jesus is recorded riding in on something. We read that passage in Revelation, he rode in on a white horse, right? Like a knight in shining armor, that's what he is. Coming with a whole bunch of armies of other dudes on white horses, riding in behind him. But there's one other time where Jesus rode something, and it, it wouldn't have been a white horse. It wasn't flashy. It wasn't showy. <laughs> oh. Alright, so turn with me. Turn with me to the book of Luke. The book of Luke, chapter 19, is where we're going to be. And this is recorded in all four Gospels, uh, but we're going to look at the book of Luke for today. The book of Luke, chapter 19, verses 28 through 40. And when he, Jesus said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. They're not in Jerusalem yet, they're still outside. And when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, and the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you, again still not Jerusalem but a village, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, hey why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, obviously its owner said, Why are you untying my colt? Like, what are you doing with my donkey? You know, this is a prized possession. They carried a lot of stuff around, you know? What are you doing with my like you're taking my car? What are you what are you doing taking my car? Well the Lord has need of it. <laughs> and today we would be like, What? What are you doing? But they just the way the Lord said. And they brought this non-car, they brought this donkey to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks along the road. And he was drawing near. Already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. And when I stop there, they think, oh, Jesus had 12 disciples. No, Jesus had 12 apostles, right? We call them that. Jesus had hundreds, if not thousands of disciples, people who followed him around and followed him around and, and sat with him and learned from them. But he had his inner circle of, of the 12 that we come to know and love and often despise, right? But he had lots and lots of disciples, and they're all coming along, like, Woo! This is the moment we've been waiting for. Jesus coming into Jerusalem, his triumphant entry. A loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. These people were saying, Blessed is the King who comes. In the name of the Lord, that was King of Kings and Lord of Lords, right? Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, uh, rebuke your disciples. In other words, these people are praising you way more than a man should. These people are, are, are praising you way more than you deserve. And he answered, You know, I tell you, if, if these people all were shut up, if these people were all silent, if these people didn't say anything in this moment right now, man, these rocks are going to cry out praise. Because just like that moment in Joshua, behold, just stop because I have come. Well, are you forming against me? No, no, no. I have come. Well, are you going to fight my battles or not fight my battles? No, 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 no. I have come. And it really is just that simple in this moment. And in each encounter we're, we're, we're talking about here and Jesus coming into Jerusalem and, and Moses with the burning bush and God calling out to him from the burning bush and Moses, well, I'm going to take, take a look at this. Before, it's an angel in the bush. But when Moses decides to shift his gaze and go, Hey, I'm going to check out this bush on fire. It's not burning up. And he goes and checks out this bush on fire. And when Joshua sees there's a dude on the road and he could have gone around, I mean, it's not like there's no other way. He could have gone around, but Joshua said, There's a dude in the road over there. I'm going to go check out this dude. In each one of these encounters, God gives us a chance to get closer just like Moses, just like Joshua. And and He's encountering you in your daily life. He's giving us, you and me, an opportunity to get closer. And when we get closer, when we get closer to Jesus, when we draw near to Him, that's when we start to understand who He is and what He did for you and me. Anyone in here like space? We're on the space coast, right? Right? Like space, that was a pretty cool thing. You guys see the was that, SpaceX rocket go up a week or two ago, and I guess the first reused rocket in, in history, this reused rocket went up and then also landed down on some landing pad in the middle of the ocean. How do they do that? I don't know. I, I don't know, but there's some pretty cool things going on in space right now. I want to fill you in. I want to learn you. All right, so there's this thing called an EHT. I'll tell you what an EHT stands for in a minute, but it's basically it's eight radio telescopes around the world And between April 4th and 15th, in other words, right now, now, between April 4th and April 15th, they're taking a look at this place called Sagittarius A. Anyone know where Sagittarius A is? Well, one and a half. (laughs) We've got some unsures. Sagittarius A is at the center, the center of our Milky Way galaxy. Oh, nom, Nom noms, going nom noms. It's at the center of our Milky Way galaxy. I love me some Milky Way. Does anyone else really love some Milky Way in here? A couple people? A couple people. All right. Uh, Let me see. Who wants to. All right, I'll come up here to the lovebirds. All right, there's two. There's two in here. Y'all got to share, okay? There's two in there. Take it. It's not poison. All right, so y'all go nom-noms on my Milky Way. So it's at the center of this Milky Way galaxy. That's where we live. If you, if you are aware. All right. And all these this giant EHT are trying to take a look at the, what is at the center of our Milky Way galaxy, which is not creamy, yummy nougat, right? But it's this black hole. Do you guys know that they have never actually seen a black hole before? By theory and by things written down, it's supposed to exist, but no one's ever seen one. Does anyone here believe black holes exist? Yeah. Do you think anyone out there believes black holes exist? They've never seen it, but they believe it. And by things written down, they assume it's out there. How's that any different from this? So they're looking at this, they're trying to find this this Milky Way galaxy, and the goal of measuring this holy grail, they call it the holy grail of astronomy, and this thing called the EHT, the Event Horizon. And it's not the 1997 movie with Lawrence Fishburne and Sam Neill, right? The event horizon. Well, what's an event horizon? Well, see, black holes, they just just sop up gas and dust and other debris in space. And all that matter just falling into the black hole heats up, and it heats up, and it heats up to billions of degrees. Not 365 degrees you bake cookies at, right? Billions, billions of degrees. And this black hole cases a shadow against the intense light because it's everything everything is being just sucked into this black hole they think they think everything is being just sucked into this black hole this this area where the black hole's gravitational pull is so strong nothing can escape it not even light it's kind of crazy to think about right And as this black hole drags stars and interstellar material into a swirling oblivion, scientists believe that the immense gravity bends light into this crescent-like shape. Pretty cool. And that's the event horizon. That's what they're trying to look for, though they've never seen. That's what they believe is out there, though it's only possibly theorized or Written about. So, all these EHT, the Event Horizon Telescopes, is eight telescopes around the world, all the way from Antarctica to Chile to Spain to North America and Mexico, all trying to look for this black hole and measure this event horizon. This point of no return is that event horizon. And if you read this book, this book of postulate or theories or whatever you want to call these things of truth that have not maybe yet in some areas been proven. When you read this, you know it's simply a matter of time before Jesus returns and no one will be able to escape the knowledge of who he is. And for some of those people, it will be too late. And while that event horizon for a black hole sounds kind of scary, everything just being sucked into this super billion degree heated mass of oblivion, an event horizon in our faith actually, to me at least, sounds kind of exciting. A point of no return where everything we do, everything we are, everything we say, everywhere we go is being swept to and in around and focused on this area called Jesus Christ. This Easter season for you and for me is a moment for each one of us, again, an event horizon, a point of no return. So I don't look back. But for me, moving forward, everything is being swept into, designed around Jesus being at the center of my universe. You see, we live in a generation of long distance Christianity. We do. We like to stare at the cross from a distance, be like, oh, that must have hurt. Yeah, he did it for everybody. Uh huh. We look at that from a distance. People are able to misquote scripture from a distance. Because they haven't gotten close to to understand the context or who he was talking to. And it's really easy to just take one verse and use it for your own purposes from a distance. From a distance, it's easy to misuse faith. And from a distance, it's easy to misrepresent who God is from a distance. But guess what? As we draw closer, God is doing, has done, and will do the miraculous. And he's inviting you and he's inviting me to draw closer, to see what he's doing And to be a part of it. And when we step away from long distance Christianity, we approach the cross, we approach Easter, when we get closer, we start to see things. From a distance, you're not gonna see the scars that he bore for you and me. From a distance, you're not gonna make out the shape of his body hanging on the cross. From a distance, you're not gonna be able to see the look in his eyes. When he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. From a distance, we're not going to see his crown, even of thorns, pressed into his head, bleeding down his face. From a distance, we're not going to understand what he did for us. But just like the burning bush, and just like this commander of the armies of the Lord, standing in the middle of a highway in your and my life, he's inviting us to, hey, stop. Stop. Get closer and remember that I am holy. You see, Jesus has marched on this Palm Sunday again right into the hearts of you and me, right into the midst of our lives and right into the midst of our Jerusalems where there's other things going on. There's chaos. There's business that needs to be done. There's children that need to be put to bed. There's there's people that need to go different places. There's food that needs to be prepared or eaten. There's a thousand different things going on in our Jerusalems. But Jesus has entered on this day for you and for me again just to say, you know what? Stop. Stop everything else. Get closer. And remember that I am holy. Just like the Israelites wandering around in this desert, our journey needs to begin and end with the understanding that He is holy. That's just it for today. Nothing more, nothing less. He is holy. And when we learn that, when we learn that, when we try to get our brains around that mind-blowing concept of what holiness is and how holy He is, you know what, then we are no longer slaves in the Egypts of our minds. We're no longer slaves in the Egypts of our addictions, the Egypt that where we came from in bondage of our fears, of our worries, of our past. But we are set free when we understand that He is holy by the same God who wants us to stop, to get closer, and understand that by His holiness, we have freedom. You see, we can't dive into this season of Easter without taking a few moments to wrap our brains around what this day is for us. And yeah, it's, it's a liturgical calendar, and that's a big word that means Palm Sunday is this Sunday every year before Easter, right? Liturgical. I don't understand that. Okay, that's what that means. So, for all these churches over the globe, most of them are taking a moment to, to talk about this triumphant entry into Jerusalem. For real Egyptians this morning, this simple gathering cost them their lives. Would you have still come knowing that could happen this morning? Or would we rather be long-distance Christianity? Because see, when you get wrapped up into your universe revolving around Jesus, not yourself, your universe revolving around Jesus, not your job, when you get wrapped up in when your universe is all revolving around Jesus, Everything looks different. And nothing can escape that black hole, right? It's a matter of time. Nothing's going to be able to escape the truth of who Jesus is. For you, that might be this morning. To pull a Joshua. Say, you know what? I'm going to stop right where I am. I've got a whole bunch of questions for you, Jesus, but for right now, I just need to stop. I need to take off my shoes because the place where I'm standing is holy ground. This place this morning is holy ground, and it's not because of you and it's not because of me. Thank God, but because of God, this place is holy ground because He is here. Where two or more are gathered, there He is, and we are gathered to celebrate Him. We'd be remiss if we didn't pause this morning to to shut our minds off from the things that can be distracting in this Easter season, because every Sunday is Easter. Every Sunday is Easter. Every day is Easter. But to give that its due, we need to understand And we just need to stop. We need to draw closer to Him. And we need to understand that He is holy. Let's pray.